Today's reading is from Psalm 82 and 2 Peter 3. Psalm 82, 1 through 2 and 8 through 13. You, Lord, showed favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. I will listen to what God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants. But let them not turn to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. 2 Peter 3, 8-15 But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord does not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destructions of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. You know, over the past year, we've seen numerous images in the papers and shared on social media, kind of like these up on the corner, of people on the side of the road or marching down the road, shouting and waving messages. And maybe you have participated in some of these initiatives. I've done that for the first time this year, voicing your opinion for or against a particular cause. Now, it certainly is a passionate expression for something new to happen. Marching or standing on the side of the road with words is one way to get attention, but does it actually lead to real change? Does walking this path to, uh, does it lead to tangible and effective change? You know, this week, in the second week of Advent, we look to what it means to be on this road of repentance. And as I began preparing for this message this week, I found it really difficult to explore. Not because I don't believe in this idea of repentance that is central to the Christian faith, but in a culture of protests and marches, I found myself associating this idea of repentance with telling others to repent or being told to repent. And I think most of us, don't like those kinds of messages. That doesn't sound like an idea of a good time for me. And maybe you're thinking the same thing. You're thinking, well, Andrew, where are you going with this? What are we going to do? The world certainly doesn't need more guilt-inducing, shaming, or othering messages. But I invite you to consider the texts found in today's service that were included in the call to worship, in, in the scripture readings. 
They certainly include honest assessments of where our hearts may be. And they invite us to consider walking a different path before us. Now, we certainly don't like to be told what to do or how to live, but take note of the tone and the words used to convey this invitation to live differently. We find that this invitation is wrapped in tremendously reassuring words. Words of comfort, words of forgiveness, and words of life. Words of comfort, of forgiveness, and of life. Through these passages, we are invited to consider the source of the words. Who is it that speaks these words to us? Jerry's monologue helped us hear the words of John the Baptist in Mark chapter 1 in a fresh way. And John the Baptist was quoting the words of Isaiah the prophet in chapter 40 that formed the foundation of our call to worship today. Isaiah begins, Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double of all, for all of her sin. If you scan the rest of the chapter of Isaiah 40, and you note the importance of speech and voice, you'll see a, a lot of references to, to words. There's word of comfort and proclaim. There's a voice calling. There's an invitation to make straight. There's the mouth of the Lord proclaiming there's the, a cry out. There's the breath of the Lord that blows on them. There's the word of the Lord that endures forever. And people who bring good news and shout and declare the goodness of God. You know, the spoken words invite Israel to, that invite Israel to repentance are deeply wrapped in words of comfort. In fact, the Hebrew word translated speak tenderly, as you see highlighted here, literally means speak to the heart. It's a phrase found mostly in contexts of reassurance or of winning a person back. It's a word of comfort. A voice calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Isaiah continues speaking these comforting words to a people who are walking through the wilderness, a desolation and difficulty. The words of Isaiah in verse 3, or four, three and 4 shown below are quoted by John the Baptist and perhaps more famously referenced by Martin Luther King Jr. in his I Have a Dream speech. These images are based on this rough terrain as you approach Jerusalem from the east. And we find that they are metaphors not only for personal transformation, but also for social reformation. It's a longing for the world to re be remade as a place for the king to come to. California pastor Ephraim Smith says, Righteousness is the solution for sin in the soul. Justice is the solution for sin in society. And both are connected. The words of comfort aren't just words addressing your personal, individual psyche, but they address the whole created order. If you scan the other texts that have been referred to in our service, you'll notice the same tender invitation. We see it in the Psalm 85. And we see it in 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You put these together, and we don't hear a message of an angry and distant God fed up with the shenanigans of God's children, but we hear the voice of a God, of God as a mother, wooing her wayward 
and lost children in to envision a different future for themselves. The lostness, the confusion, and the mistakes, they're real. But the posture of repentance, invitation to repentance, is love and restoration. When the Apostle Peter speaks of the Lord's patience with God's people, we hear the tone of a God who comes along God's children and endures suffering with them. As you hear that, I think what resonates in our humanity is this desperate longing for comfort and for affirmation. You know, Parker Palmer uh, is a Christian thinker who describes this relationship that carried him through the crippling depression that he was longing to pass through. He says, there was this one friend who came to me, and after asking permission to do so, every afternoon at about 4 o'clock, he sat me down in a chair in, his, in the living room. He took off my shoes and socks, and he began massaging my feet. He hardly ever said anything. He was a Quaker elder. And yet, out of his intuitive sense, from time to time, he would say a brief word like, I can feel your struggle today. Farther down the road, he would say, I feel that you're a little stronger at this moment, and I'm glad for that. But beyond that, this elder would not say anything to him. And what Parker Palmer says is what he did for me, of course, was to be willing to be present to me in my suffering. He just hung in with me in this very quiet, very simple, and very tactile way. I wonder if that's perhaps an image of how God perseveres and comes alongside of us. On this road of faith, Advent reminds us that we have a God who comes into our world to walk with us, to take up our hands, to take up our feet that are tired and worn and wounded. God embraces us and carries our pains and burdens to the cross where Jesus' own hands and feet become ours and names the pain of our sin in an eternally tactile way. As Paul writes to the Roman church in Romans 2, verse 4, he says, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's God's kindness that goes ahead of us. It's leading us on this road to repentance, and that's ultimately comforting. You know, most of us don't particularly like to admit when we're wrong. And it doesn't help that our political leaders don't model this very well either. Acknowledging wrong, seeking forgiveness, and extending forgiveness are seen as signs of weakness rather than as a reflection of character and of wisdom. Even worse than acknowledging our own wrong is when someone points out when we're in the wrong. You know, I was in high school when my friends and I decided to skip our physics class to go to the arcade at the mall. And it was near the end of the year, and we often didn't understand what the physics teacher was teaching anyways, because he was smarter as a physicist than clear as a teacher, if you know what I mean. And if you're too young to imagine what going to the mall is and playing video games at the arcade, then let me put it another way. During virtual learning at home, instead of being attentive to your teacher teaching in class, I was playing Minecraft with my friends online. So later that day, we were sitting in the hall together when we noticed our physics teacher coming down the hall, heading our way. And he makes eye contact with us. And he makes a beeline straight towards us. And we're thinking, oh no, we've been caught. Our hearts are racing. We're about to be chewed out cutting class and maybe we'll be sent to the principal's office. 
comes up to us sitting on the floor and he goes, hey guys, I noticed that you weren't in class today. And we go, uh, yeah, yeah, sorry, Mr. Gable. And we came up with some lame excuse for why we didn't make it to class. And he goes, oh, that's okay. I just wanted to make sure that you were in class next week for our end of year party. Whew. Okay, sure, Mr. Gable. We'll be there. Thanks for letting us know. Don't you wish all your interactions with your teachers were like that? Now, kids, this is not an excuse or permission to cut class. But perhaps most telling about this interaction is, I don't remember anything about physics class except this one interaction with my teacher. We knew we were in the wrong. We knew that he knew that we were in the wrong. But Mr. Gable approached us with kindness and invited us to look to what was ahead. And that changed how we oriented our, our relationship with physics and with him. In Psalm 85, verse 2, the psalmist says, You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their, their sins. And it's out of this place of recognizing God's kindness and love and forgiveness that we are free to acknowledge those parts of our lives that aren't aligned with God's. Catholic author Eve Tushnet writes about this poetically about sin. She says that sin is that conflict in the self, that self-division in which we're alienated from our best impulses. Sin is that self-division in which we're alienated from our best impulses. It's God's loving comfort that points out this different way of living, a different future. And that invites us to consider a different road to travel. And when we respond humbly to God's invitation, we experience forgiveness. And God's forgiveness frees us from the shame of the past and also the consequence of the future because of that sin, but also enables us to live from our best impulses in the present. And we don't do that alone. Second Peter 3 Verse 11 to 14. There, Peter, the words of Peter highlight this enduring patience of God to walk with us, desiring all to come to repentance with this future-oriented trajectory of our lives. When people hear the word repentance, we have this image of someone who is having authority over us, scolding us, shaming us, making us feel less than, and perhaps even abusing us. We think it's a zero-sum game of consciences, and if we acknowledge that we're wrong, we're going to lose face with the one we offended. And if we change course, we have to admit that we were wrong and that shadow of wrongdoing will continue to forever haunt that relationship. And we, we're constantly haunted with, what will people think of me? But walking in the road of repentance with the living God is not like that. Instead, what Peter does here for us is remind us of this future that is ahead of us. Our future selves will be grateful for and enjoy the fruits of the repentance of our present selves. And the image of God isn't one who lords over us with anger and, sh and shame, but coming first with comforting, motherly patience and pointing us to this different kind of future when we walk in alignment with the living God. This alignment is what, with God is what Peter describes as holy and godly lives in verses 11 and 12. The, he says that there, we ought, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. You see, the oughtness of our lives is not that we might be happy or successful or comfortable, or at least 
in the way that we might imagine those words to mean. The oughtness here is holiness and godliness. And we may be tempted to think these words mean holier than thou, where a life trusting in God seems to be angry and self-righteous and bitter. And in the past, a godly and holy life might be described by some Christians as one that doesn't drink alcohol or play card games or work on Sundays or watch movies with certain ratings. But those are hardly qualities that describe the fullness of God's character, where living holy and godly lives might include choosing to refrain from certain activities and participating in others. It's not primarily about the activity you participate in, but the orientation of your heart towards God. And to put it a little more practically, for myself, I will certainly consider whether Scripture has anything to say about a particular activity. But in many cases, we find that Scripture is silent because Scripture is not intended to be a comprehensive document of allowable behaviors. So there's a second level of discernment as to whether an activity is helpful and fruitful and enjoyable or whether it's destructive to myself or to others or to the world that God has given to us. But sometimes an activity can be both of those things. It can be helpful at sometimes and meaningful, but it can also be destructive. So there's a third level of discernment, and that's to consider whether an activity leads me to be formed more fully in the likeness of God's character and mission. Does this particular thing help me to be more godly and holy? This is the true road of repentance that we are invited to consider in the season of Advent. Walking the road of repentance is not one of burden and misery and bitterness. It is this lifelong journey of joy in imitating the God who loves you and draws close to you and walks beside you. We repent daily and repeatedly, acknowledging our dependence on God for this journey. And as Peter reminds us, there is this eternal role at work when we uh, walk this road of repentance. Since Christ's first arrival, the movement of God's people is towards godliness and holiness. And as we do that, we are hastening the day of Christ's next arrival. You know, when I first moved to D.C., one of the most critical tools I learned to use upon my arrival was the Waze GPS app. I discovered Waze offers features like warning of hazards and traffic jams and traffic cameras. And in a place like D.C., where the signage is difficult and the people are impatient and one wrong turn can get you stuck on a road that has limited opportunity to turn around, Waze is a godsend. And if you find yourself off course, you don't hear a voice ream you out for making a mistake. Why didn't you turn left there? Why didn't you? You idiot! You're such a bad driver! It simply reroutes you and tells you, make the next left and get back on course. And even if we decide to keep Going our own way, Waze will keep updating you to tell you where you need to go. You know, Asaph, who writes Psalm 85, reminds us of how the Lord leads God's people in a similar way, but for a much more significant goal than a destination you have to drive to. In verse 2, or verse 8, it says, I will listen to what the Lord God says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants. You know, with a GPS app like Waze, it's reminding you to get back on course. We can always turn it off, and there's nothing inherently destructive about that other than delaying your arrival or to your intended destination or taking the scenic route. But with the living God, listening to the word of life has significant impact on our lives. Throughout history, Israel was waiting for the arrival of the Messiah, 
the anointed one of God to come. And we sang about, O come Emmanuel, today. And to, where the, Israel was waiting for God to come and speak life and peace to God's people. But in Jesus' arrival, they soon realized that not only did he come to bring peace to God's people, but to all of God's creation. Because the God of life has come to be amongst God's people, we find that on this side of Christmas, the words of the psalmist aren't just inspiring words of poetry. Instead, these words become words of a, a new reality when God became flesh in the arrival of Jesus Christ. Take a look at verses 10 to 13. Surely, the salvation is near to those who hear him and that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good and our land will yield its harvest. You know, in Christ's arrival, God's glory lives in the land and salvation has drawn near to God's people and all of creation. In Christ's incarnation, God's love for the world and God's faithfulness to his promises meet together. In Christ's crucifixion, God's righteous character and God's flourishing peace meet for the world to see. In Christ's resurrection, God's faithfulness literally springs forth from the earth and the righteous God looks down from heaven to see the children of God who are made righteous with Christ's righteousness. And all creation groans for the goodness of God to come in all its fullness. But this reality isn't just for God's people to receive. It's a reality and a poetry that God's people are invited to participate in. Verse 13 describes how righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. John the Baptist certainly fulfilled that reality of that verse at Jesus' first arrival. But I wonder if perhaps God's people, God's children, made righteous in Christ, are now invited to prepare the way for Jesus' second arrival. And that means when you and I put our trust in Christ, we begin to listen to the voice of the one who has been speaking since the beginning of time. And on this road of righteousness, this voice leads us towards godliness and holiness in order to prepare the way for Christ's next arrival. As we live our lives in humble submission to the living word of God, we begin participating in this new world to come. That This new world that Jesus came to reign over and will return to reign over fully. We begin to live not only for our comfort and for our success, but for the comfort and success of the most vulnerable around us. We don't turn our backs on those who seek refuge or those who are homeless or those who are oppressed and marginalized. We strive and live for a just world where the color of a person's skin doesn't limit the areas of the world where they can work or live and play in. We live on this road of repentance for the flourishing of all people, not just the people who look like us or share our convictions. And we live for the flourishing of all of God's creation not just the parts that we plunder for our comfort and excess. This is what it means to be on this road of repentance. We walk this road not with misery or shame or heaviness, but with this enduring, patient, 
presence of the living God who draws near to us in comfort, to forgive, and ultimately to give life. My friends, hear these words and live. Amen.